I mentioned, this is a Global Outreach Sunday, and uh, this morning uh, we're going to hear from two of what we call our field staff, and uh, we actually have two others that will be sharing the second hour, uh, but field staff are kind of in kind of unique, and and really Cole's kind of unique in in this, in that uh, they're actually considered staff of our church. They're pastors of our church. Uh, They just happen to work in an international setting. And so we are their sending entity. And so uh, at the end of the day, Dan and Tom, I'm I'm your boss. So um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, no, really, these guys have taught me a lot already. And so we're privileged to have uh, two of our uh, longer-term field staff here uh, sharing with us this morning, and uh, Tom is going to be up first. And, and, and actually, Dan's been a little little worried about the time, and uh, I, I assured him, that one, we already kind of padded 10 minutes, you know, because he's wondering how, like, two guys can, can fit it into our time. But, you know, Dan, I was looking, we're, we're ahead of schedule already, so we're going to be okay. So, uh, But I also said, yeah, hey, we're not going to mind if they go a few minutes long, because uh, uh, they've come a long ways to bring us our message. So we're going to have Tom come up first, and Tom has been serving uh, in the Middle East for almost 30 years, or just a little over 30 30 years, somewhere in there, but uh, uh, we're excited to have him here this morning and to give us a challenge in the Word. So, Tom. Thank you. It's good to be here this morning. We love coming to Boise, especially this year. It was so lush and green with all the rainfall. It was really great. The river is coursing through the middle of the city, but we love coming to Boise for the people, too. We find you all really refreshing to spend time with. Like uh, David says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And we really delight to come and spend time with you guys. But, uh, but we have seen no one who loves their city more than those from Damascus. One family who came as refugees to Mufruk, Jordan, where we live. The husband and wife aren't allowed to work because of the rules of refugees. And so I asked the husband, well, don't you want to emigrate to the West like so many other families? And he said, definitely not. We want to go back to Damascus. It is more than a city. When Damascus speaks, you hear her voice. She is spirit that inspires and soul that empowers. Her water is pure and plentiful and all her people thrive and are happy. Damascus is where we belong. We will wait until we can go back to her and rebuild what has been destroyed. There are many wonderful cities around the world, and some are being devastated by war. But the Lord's glorious city will endure forever. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Psalm 87. If you have have it on your smartphone, tablet, Kindle, or an actual Bible, you could turn to that. Psalm this morning, the Lord's glorious city, or what I'm going to call the Lord's G.O. city, global outreach city. Verse 1, on the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mentioned Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her, for the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers his peoples, this one was born there. Singers and dancers alike 
say, All my springs are in you. What makes that mountain holy? Well, just as God met Noah on Mount Ararat, just as God met Moses and Aaron and Jethro the Midianite, the Bedouin probably, on Mount Horeb, the Lord chose Mount Zion to meet Abraham. He said, Take your son, your only son, and offer him there in the land of Moriah on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. When the Lord saw that Abraham did not withhold his son but feared God, he loved God more than anything, he provided the ram for sacrifice. And so Moses named the place, The Lord Will Provide. Because on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. And the angel said to Abraham, Because you've done this, I will surely bless you, and your offspring will bless all the nations of the earth. The mountain was a place God chose to meet Abraham in worship and sacrifice and blessing. And he established a city on that mountain. Zion was his city. He commissioned Solomon to build his house, his house, the temple of God. And it says, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. The gates are where the people come in and go out. They come in for forgiveness, for reconciliation, for atonement, for blessing. And they go out to bless others in joy and empowerment. Just like we parents love to see our kids coming in and going out of our front doors to spend time with us, to work, have a good relationship with us, to be blessed, and then to go out into the world. God loves his people, his children, to come into his house. Do we love the Lord's city? Do we love to come in to his presence and dwell with him, be reconciled, to listen to his voice, and to obey, to be blessed and empowered. I think we do. That's why we're here this morning. Now, the original reader would say, well, the, the glorious things, then, of course, are all the sons of Jacob coming into the house of God, our tribes, because it's our Jerusalem and our temple. But look what he says. Surprisingly, he says, among those who know me, I mentioned Rahab and Babylon. Oh, by the way, let me just mention these nations, sons of Jacob. Look, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush. This one was born there. The glorious things in the Lord's glorious city are the registration of individuals from enemy nations. Huh? Not only are they, well, does the Lord make them citizens, he gives them distinction. They're citizens of honor. They're from the south, east, west. In the south, there's Rahab, Egypt, who oppressed God's people. She is called the dragon. But in Psalm 89, he says, You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with a mighty arm. And the reader would say, Well, of course, the people of Rahab are unqualified to be citizens in the city of God. What about Babylon? From the beginning, they rejected God. They turned to enchantments and sorceries. But in Psalm 137, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you. Well, certainly Babylon's citizens, 
people are unqualified to be citizens in the kingdom of God, the city of God. Philistia, wrathful, because they took vengeance with malice of soul, the Lord says, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines. Certainly the Philistines are not qualified. Tyre, wealthy city by the sea, skilled in all kinds of precious goods, yet covetous. Ezekiel says, because you make your heart like the heart of a God, I will bring foreigners upon you. Certainly Tyre's people would be unqualified, wouldn't they? All of these nations in the minds of the readers, and perhaps in our minds, are enemies of God, are unqualified to become citizens in his holy, eternal city. But how great is the plan of the one who founded and builds his city, the one, the city that Abraham was looking forward to. It was his plan all along to populate his city with individuals from enemy nations. So to Abraham, he said, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And this was a mystery, wasn't it? Paul said this mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel on the Mount Zion, where God provided the great sacrifice for Isaac to be redeemed from death. God provided the greatest sacrifice, even Jesus Christ, who redeemed all those at enmity with God from eternal punishment. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Verse 5, then, this one and that one were born in her. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High will establish her. If we love his holy city, then wouldn't we love the citizens he has chosen and is choosing? And who are these individuals? Well, first, it's you and me. We're Gentiles. We were separated from Christ. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers of the covenants, but we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are members of the household of God and fellow citizens with the saints built on the foundation Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. And don't we love to be with his saints? We just love this when we come back. To just be at, in God's household with the saints. But who are the individuals God is calling today? Let me just go through these areas and uh, talk about what they correspond with today geographically. Rahab, Egypt... During the Arab Spring, a political revolution erupted in Egypt. Uh, the church, the evangelical church, had been praying for a decade for two things. For unity among the Christians. Imagine the Coptic historical Christian community there, traditional Christians, and the evangelicals becoming one. And they prayed, secondly, that Muslims would come to know Jesus Christ. Those were their two main prayer requests. And the Lord answered as the government was overthrown. 
things got very chaotic. The churches came together in these huge prayer meetings and united, seeking God's mercy and his kingdom. And Muslims openly came into churches. And there are thousands of Muslims being discipled by Christians in Egypt. And this one and that one were born in her. Babylon, which corresponds geographically to modern-day Iraq. Uh, In the north there in Kurdistan, Connor was pushing his cart of books through the market with a sign on it which read, Man does not live by bread alone. A Kurdish believer of Jesus Christ, from a Muslim background, came up to him and said, I can finish that sentence for you. And this man began to disciple Connor. Connor uh, then was born in Zion. And he connected with other gospel workers and they started a couple dozen home groups of people from Muslim backgrounds. And then the Lord opened a wider door and as Arabs started flooding into their Kurdish town, fleeing ISIS in 2014, Connor and his colleagues, his partners in the gospel, reached out and found hundreds of families open to the gospel of Jesus. They started discipling them, and many have now gone back to their cities in Iraq. We could talk of Tyre, which corresponds, well, let's first talk about Philistia, which corresponds to Palestine. Behold, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush. And it's kind of like, oh, by the way, Philistia will be born in my city. Those people from Philistia. If you've heard us speak very much or you get our email updates, you've heard about our friend Raymond, who was a Muslim construction worker. He had a Christian supervisor who told him the gospel. And when I sat with Raymond, he accepted everything that he heard. He was baptized and became a member of the household of God. And this one was born there. He began sharing Jesus with his family, with his wife and brother who believed. And then he introduced Jesus to Andrew, who lived in another town, and who invited his wife and his friends, and they became believers and were baptized. And there is much more happening now as a result. And this one and that one were born in her. Tyre corresponds to Lebanon. We recently met a pastor from southern Lebanon whose city was inundated with Muslim refugees, like many cities in the Middle East, uh, Syrian refugees, excuse me. He had refugees from Iraq as well. His small congregation began visiting them, just like you are doing here with, with refugees. And they began meeting their needs and praying for them and sharing Jesus with them. He said in his small church now, 17 Muslim families have come into his church, have been baptized, and are being discipled. And this one was born there. Cush probably corresponds with with Sudan, far off in the south. Joseph came to Jordan seeking asylum from the war in Darfur. He came to our sanatorium for TB treatment or assessment. And as he was lying on his bed one night, he began to float upwards. And he got to the gates of heaven. He could see the lights and stars. And he met Jesus, who said, this is heaven. But he couldn't go in. Then Jesus took him down to a room, a very large room, with a large valve. 
And Jesus began to open that valve and fire poured out into the room. And Joseph looked at Jesus and they escaped. Joseph woke up and he said, I no longer doubted the reality of Jesus. He put his faith in Christ and began to follow him. And this one was born there as well. And of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord Jesus records as he registers peoples, this one was born there. We go into many government offices and sometimes in the old system they have these large registration books. And so you go in, present your request and they record your name. Jesus records in the Lamb's Book of Life the names, the individuals that he has vetted, that he has saved, and that he gives full citizenship to in his kingdom. And he does this for his glory and our joy. Verse 7, singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. So Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, give me a drink. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. The woman left her jar and went into town and said to the people, who, by the way, were cut off from the people of God, were not allowed to worship in his city. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She had found living water. It was not on that mountain or the mountain in Jerusalem. Jesus said, worshipers who worship by spirit and truth are those God is seeking. She had found her living water. She had found her source of perpetual joy. And singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. If we love the Lord's holy city of Zion, then wouldn't we love those whom he is registering as citizens of his city? And wouldn't we want to be regularly involved in this registration process of individuals from other nations to the extent that he calls us to be involved and includes us in that? Even if they are from nations which we consider enemy nations, and wouldn't we serve global outreach for his glory and our joy in his city? Today, there are many opportunities where we can get involved. But this is what Jesus is doing. This is what he's doing around the world. Thank you for being involved with us, for sending us. But there is so much more that he wants to do. Let's pray together. Our Father, we... We worship you, we adore you, we praise the name of your son, Jesus. Jesus, you are our master, you are the Lord of the harvest. And just as you have sent out families from this church to go to other nations, you are sending out people who live here 
to reach those whom you are calling into your city, whom you are registering in your holy city. We pray that you would give us grace and wisdom as we step out. And those who are thinking of stepping out would take the steps, would follow you, because your city is an outreach city. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Tom. We do appreciate uh, the challenge this morning for us to be engaged in what God is doing uh, in the Middle East. And, Melissa, we appreciate you, too, and your faithful work there in Jordan. Uh, Dan and Monica have been on staff with us for almost 40 years. And, uh, Dan, boy, that makes us seem old, doesn't it, Dan? So, But they've faithfully been working in the Middle East as well as supporting workers there. And uh, it's just great to have them home. It's been four years since they've been here, so it's good to... To see you guys and the uh, Lord blessing on your message this morning, Dan. Thank you, Asher. Yeah, it's uh, great to be here. Just got here, Monica. I don't know if you want to stand for a moment, wave, and just got here a couple days ago. But can you believe it's been four years? And I look out, and it's just so wonderful to see so many faces of, of close friends. And uh, I so appreciate Asher you clearing me today to preach for the next hour. That that is what he said, right? How many of you who do get to preach sometimes? have the blessing of a wife who sometimes will be up front saying, so you probably don't have to worry too much. But um, as many of you know, we have just moved back to the Middle East. And so we are not just in the Middle East, we are in the really hot part of the Middle East. You may have heard the other day that in Phoenix, it was what, 118 degrees? Did you read about that? Extraordinary. Actually, that's kind of a normal where we are. You go outside, your eyes hurt. So it's great to be here in Boise where it's consistently cool and refreshing and breezy. (laughs) Yesterday, I think it was 100 maybe. 100. Anyway, turn in your Bibles to Romans 15, verse 22. Turn in your Bibles, or as Tom said, in your Kindle, in your phone, in your tablet, in your Fitbit. Whatever it is you use to read the scriptures. What we have in this passage in Romans 15, of course, is part of a letter. Part of a very long letter, intricate letter, but it's, of course, the Apostle Paul writing the Christians at Rome. Rome, of course, was the 800-pound gorilla of the church in the, in the Roman Empire at that time. Lots and lots of churches, lots and lots of Christians, big numbers, powerful, wealthy. And so Paul is writing this church that he hadn't met yet. Paul is not the one who founded the church in Rome, but now he's writing to establish a relationship. And I love this passage. I've been spending hours in it. It's just a fascinating account of the first century church, the relationship between the missionaries and the sending church. And there's a lot of tricky things going on, as we'll see. There's a lot of travel. There's money issues. There's Paul had certain expectations of what was going to go on in in the coming months for him. And we'll see what happened to those great expectations. But um, uh, let's read the passage together. Again, Romans 15 beginning in verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor 
among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Well, this is a little bit of a complicated situation, so let's just try to pack it real quickly. Paul is writing to the Roman church from Corinth, and he says, I first got to go to Jerusalem. I've collected a whole bunch of money. I've got to deliver it to the church there because of very, very poor people in, among the saints in Jerusalem. But then I'm going to come see you in Rome. So he's sort of forwarding his email with his you know, Expedia itinerary to them. I'm going to come see you there in Rome, and then I'm going to go on to Spain. Why Spain? Because the gospel has not made it there yet at all. So this is a, a huge vision that Paul has for evangelizing the western part of the Mediterranean. But first, I'm going to come to you in Rome. So a lot of travel, a lot of moving around, a lot of cross-cultural stuff. But Paul wants to create a relationship with the Roman church. Why? Because he needs their help for the western Mediterranean campaign that he is envisioning. Listen to how John Piper explains what's going on here. Whatever else the book of Romans is, it is definitely a missionary support letter. It's the foundation of his mission to Spain. It's as if someone wanted our church to support a mission to a people group in India, and we had never met this person face to face. To prepare us for a visit and for an interview with the missions committee, the missionary writes a letter. That is what we have here in the book of Romans. It is Paul's gospel, his message, his theology, his doctrine. This is what he writes to them when he wants their help in doing world missions. So I see in this passage basically three observations. First of all, what is it that Paul expected to happen? Did you catch that? He said, I've collected all this money. I'm going to deliver it to Jerusalem. They're going to love it. And then I'm going to go on to see you. Is that what happened? Anybody know? No. He was arrested immediately. It all went pear-shaped. Instead of going to Rome in refreshment and joy, he arrives in shackles. And, you know, he had two sets of enemies. He had, you know, so many among the Jews around the world were after him. They wanted to kill him. And they had many attempts to do so. And they tried there in Jerusalem, but they arrested him just in time. And so he had these expectations of things going smoothly. Any of you have any expectations of things going smoothly in the coming months? Summer vacations? Kids going to school? Finances? Things didn't go the way that Paul, the apostle, expected. Uh, so when he, he did end up in Rome, but again, under arrest... So things don't always go the way we hope or the way we expect. You know, when uh, 
We had just moved. We've just transitioned to our new city in the Middle East, in the Gulf, Arabian Gulf area. And for months leading up to this, Monica and I both felt burdened. We felt unsettled, very unstable, just, you know, making the transition. I don't know if as you get older, these kind of transitions are tougher. So I just thought, Lord, okay, this is going to be, we'll have to weather through this. We'll get there. We'll get our shipment. And then when we find our new house rental, we'll get our shipment. Then things will begin to settle down. Life can become good again. Life can become normal again. We can have normal sleep patterns again. You want to know what happened? Some of you know, so you're laughing. Five days after we moved in, I'm setting up curtain rods in our new house. And I'm on the top rung of this ladder, reaching up, you know, eight foot high. And all of a sudden, the ladder goes like this. And I come crashing down onto the floor. Now, one thing you need to understand about floors in the Middle East, they're, they're marble. Concrete is more forgiving. And so I just crashed down, and I'm thinking, okay, I've tried to get up. Oh, can't do that. This isn't good. And uh, Monica had just left for a lunch appointment. Tom and, and Melissa were actually visiting us that evening. So, and so I, my phone is in the other room. I literally drag myself to the other room, leaving a trail of blood, Sorry to be so graphic, but uh, so we go and we, you know, end up going to the, to the hospital. And guess what? So the, what, my expectations were dashed. The, you know, the coming months were just filled with, you know, physical therapy and all the things I wanted to do just put on hold. But, you know, God used that. You know, the, the day we had checked out of the hospital, we had uh, a group of, of doctors come in and... And, uh, you know, want to clear me. So they, you know, like six or seven doctors, and they look down at my leg and say, yep, you still have a leg, so you're discharged. But a couple of them stayed, an orthopedic surgeon and a couple nurses, and they closed the door. They said, we want you to tell us about the Bible. So God has sovereign works that he does through these situations. Monica had bought this pink sparkly Bible for one of the nurses. The orthopedic surgeon grabbed a hold of it and said, I want this. And he took it. <laughs> she still has not been able to find this legally blonde kind of, of Bible for, for the nurse. But did you notice in verse 30, Paul says, I'm trusting myself to the will of God. I have my hopes. I have my expectations. But I'm trusting myself to the will of God. God's will trumps our expectations. And we know God, you know, God's purposes will prevail. He, he actually did eventually make it to Spain. So that's the first mini observation. Second one is about pioneering. How could Paul say in verse 23, there is no more work for me in this region? No more work for me in this region. All, you know, the countries of Israel and Turkey and Lebanon, no more work for me in this region. How can that be? Well, Paul's role and that of his team was to get things started. There still remain lots of work to do in evangelism, in leadership development, in building up these churches. But his role was to set the foundation. Does that make sense? 
And so the answer in verse is actually, if you go back to verse 23, Paul says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. See, that was his particular unique calling and role, was to go where there's nothing and to get things started. So it's that entrepreneurial getting things started. Again, let's listen to John Piper as he comments on this. How could he say that the gospel is fulfilled in a region where there are tens of thousands of unconverted people? The answer, the task of frontier missions was done, not the task of evangelism. What this all means for us is that there must always be missionaries like Paul if we are going to finish the Great Commission, which is not just to reach more and more people, but more and more peoples, people groups, until they all have churches and can evangelize their own people. We call this frontier missions. This must always be a high priority for our missions vision here at our church. Other kinds of missionary work are good, but this kind is utterly essential because the cause of world evangelization will not be completed without it. Reaching unreached peoples, and not just an unreached people, is the key to finishing the Great Commission. What a difference an S can make. I appreciate it. As Tom alluded to, there's some things happening in the Middle East which are absolutely extraordinary. Absolutely unprecedented. When we were here four years ago with you, I said, we have seen more fruit in the Middle East in the last four years than we had seen in decades prior to that. In, our, in just the 30 years that we had been out there, you know, the things had really ramped up with the gospel. Well, that trend has really continued. Some just wonderful things happening. Did you know what is the, the fastest growing church in the world? Do you think it's China? Do you think it's something in Africa? It's actually the church in Iran. Whatever you think politically about Iran and the Ayatollahs and all that, hundreds of thousands of brothers and sisters in Christ are growing uh, from Muslim background. The fastest growing church in the world. Maybe up to a million believers from Muslim background. I was just in Lebanon a few weeks ago. And did you know that in Lebanon and Jordan and a few pla- in Palestine, there are now more Muslims in weekly Bible studies than there are Christians in those weekly Bible studies. And now we measure, we count, the number of Muslim background believers in the Middle East, not by ones and twos like we used to, not by dozens, but by hundreds. And in a couple ministries, four figures. Isn't that incredible? Just lots and lots of groups. There's a country in the world that has 2,000 downloads of scripture in Arabic a week, 2,000 a week. You want to guess what country that is? Saudi Arabia. So these are days that are just so exciting. And, and as Tom said too, you know, ISIS has been uh, active in the Middle East and it's, you know, we're all repulsed by what we've seen. But did you know that literally hundreds, if not a few thousand Muslims in the Middle East have come to faith in Jesus because they've been so turned off by the horrific and ugly actions and behavior of ISIS. Okay, that's the first observation is things don't always go the way we hope or expect. That's true of missionaries as well as regular, you know, all of us as, as followers of Jesus. Second thing about unreached peoples and the priority of, of reaching the unreached and pioneering work. And then thirdly, partnership. Partnership. Notice again in verse 30, my Kindle is turned off, so you'll have to look at it. 
But he says, I, I urge you to strive together with me in prayer. Pray for these things. I really need you to, to partner with me, to, 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 to uh, strive together with me. And first of all, he says prayer. Now, what is prayer? Is prayer just some kind of fluffy thing? You know, we have a real meeting, you know, the real stuff, and then tack on prayer at the end or with something we pray at, at the meal. No, Paul says you can really be part of my ministry. You can be striving together with me as you pray for me. Prayer is not just, you know, empty words, but as Richard Foster says, we are working with God to determine the future. So people from the home front, senders, can really be part of striving and being part of the partnering with the ministry through prayer. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you can be a part of all this. You can be striving together with your missionaries out on the field and in this incredible enterprise that the Lord has called us to. And if you would like to be part of our prayer team, and we have you know, many, many households in the Boise area who are part of our prayer team, if you would like to join that, please write down your email address and, and get it to me or to Monica today. And then the other part of partnership that he talks about, of course, is finances. He says, I'm going out to Spain and it's going to be a big deal. I'm going to need lots of help. Now, I'm not going to preach on finances. That would be rather self-serving <laughs> as a missionary. But we so appreciate our financial partners from here at Cole and, and around the United States. So when your missionary writes to you and says, we couldn't do this without you, that's not just a cliche. It's not just a cliche. So just to wrap this up, if you think that all this stuff about partnering through prayer and finances and unreached peoples and all this stuff was sort of an invention by missionaries 50 years ago to drum up finances or something, think again. The way this works, this dynamic, goes all the way back to the first century. And uh, it's nothing new. So the advancement of the gospel is not just the missionaries, and it's not just the sending church. It's a both-and kind of partnership. That's how the gospel advances. Well, we actually have the privilege of having a vision lunch on July 30th, three weeks from now, after the second service. And we're going to be able to share in more detail about what's happening in the Middle East and about our, our new life and ministry out there. Uh, there's no such thing as a free lunch, except a vision lunch at Cole Community Church. Uh, so we would love it if you would be able to join us. And again, if you'd like to be part of our prayer team, making a commitment to pray for us on a regular basis and for special needs that we send by email, please again write down your email address on a piece of paper and, and slip it to us. All right? Great. Thanks.